It's the time of year when we're all thinking about goals and priorities. Now is the time to plan your next trip. Whatever kind of travel fills you up, whether it's lounging on the beach, connecting with family and friends, or going on a foreign adventure, Expedia has the tools you need to plan a great trip. Download the Expedia app or visit Expedia.com to start planning. You do need to be a OneKey member to use price tracking. Signing up is easy and free. Expedia, made to travel. We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card, you call the number for help, and can't get a hold of anyone. If you only had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right, a real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. Welcome to part two of our conversation. People need to know that the focus has been stolen. First and foremost, you know, you're, you're shouting out here in the wilderness to let people know the focus has been stolen because as you say in the beginning of this book, everybody's blaming themselves. We think it's, we think it's our fault that we, we can no longer pay attention. So um, we need, we, I think we need to give people back that sense of power and say to them, you know, we are not medieval peasants living at the court of King Zuckerberg, begging for a few little crumbs of attention from his table. We are the free citizens of democracies and we own our own minds and we can take them back if we want to, but we've got to understand these 12 forces from the food we eat to the air we breathe to the technology we're currently exposed to. We've got to understand these 12 forces and we've got to deal with them one by one as individuals and collectively. If we do that, there's an incredible prize to win because when you can focus, you become competent again. You can achieve your goals. You begin to feel that you're, you're present in your life again. That prize is incalculable. It is really worth fighting for, but we won't get what we don't fight for. If we just sit back, these forces will invade us more and more, and we will look back nostalgically on the day when the average office worker focused for a whole three minutes on any one task, right? We, we've got a choice now. We can carry on degenerating, and we're seeing what it does to our children, or we can choose to genuinely understand what's being done to us and begin to fight, protect ourselves and our kids and fight back. And you lay out the 12 so beautifully in Stolen Focus. As I said, we're not gonna be able to get to all of it, but I want you to talk about the fact that this crisis for us is human made and can be unmade by us too. You lay out three big, bold goals. What are they? So one goal is I think we need to ban the current business model for social media. We need to get rid of it. The second is we need to move, I would argue, to a four-day working week for the same pay, right? I went to New Zealand where they had done this. They achieved more in four days than they did in five because at the moment, especially because of this technology, we are exhausted all the time. Only 15% of Americans wake up feeling refreshed. We've got to deal with this chronic exhaustion and one way is to move to a four-day week. Lots of companies are offering that as an inducement now after COVID because of the competition for workers. Did you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meave. 
Plus, you can help to support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. The third is actually, of all the things I write about in the book, and you can tell that I care so deeply about so many of them, the one that I care about most, we've got to restore childhood. So one of the heroes of my book is a woman called Lenore Skenazi. Mm. And Lenore isn't the hero because she describes the problem, that's, that's easy. Lenore is the hero because she has built the solution and it's a solution that everyone with kids or grandchildren, you can begin to build now. So Lenore grew up in a suburb of Chicago in the 1960s. And from when she was five years old, she would leave her home on her own every morning and walk to school on her own which was about 15 minutes away. And she would generally bump into all the other kids because all the five-year-olds and all the six-year-olds and all the seven-year-olds walked to school on their own. When they got to the school, there was a busy road. So there was a 10-year-old kid whose job was to help the five and six-year-olds cross the street, right? Um, that was what childhood looked like when you were a child. You know, it was, that, that was your childhood, right? Yes, 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 yes. That was what all human childhood looked like up to the 1970s, right? All children ever played freely, went about their own business with a handful of exceptions. And you used your imagination and you were outside and you used whatever you had, you know, to exactly. create and express. Yeah. Ex exactly. By, by the time Lenore was a mother in the 1990s, that had ended. In fact, by 2003, only 10% of American children ever played outside without an adult. And I think they got an average of like 12 minutes a week. So basically it was over. Childhood became something that happened entirely behind closed doors. And it's not a coincidence that at the same time as that transformation in childhood, we have seen an explosion in children's attention problems. For every one child who was identified with serious attention problems when I was seven years old, there's now 100 children who've been identified with that problem. And there's lots of things going on, but one of them is that that childhood we've lost contained all sorts of things that were essential for children to develop a healthy form of focus and attention. To give you a real low-hanging fruit, obvious one, exercise. The evidence is overwhelming. Professor Joel Nigg, one of the leading experts on children's attention problems in the world who I interviewed, explained children who get to run around, develop more brain connections, and can pay attention better, right? The single best thing you can do for kids who are restless, don't wanna, who can't focus, is let them go and run around and then come back. We are the first human society ever to try to get children to sit still for eight hours a day. Only 76% of elementary schools have any form of recess in the United States, right? Even before COVID. So we've stopped kids moving around, but which is disastrous. But there's something even deeper, which is, and Dr. Isabel Benke, the great Chilean scientist has shown this. When children play freely with other kids without an adult standing over them, they learn what they find interesting. So they learn how to deploy their attention they learn how to persuade other kids to pay attention to what they find interesting. They learn how to take turns with paying attention to other people's stuff. They learn how to be brave, how to take risks. You climb the tree, you get a bit nervous, sometimes you fall off, but you, you, you learn how to deal with anxiety. 
We've taken all that away from children. When adults stand over children and supervise their play and establish the rules and tell them what to do, they don't learn any of those skills. So what we've done is we've progressively stripped children of the things that are necessary for them to be able to focus and pay attention. In fact, the only place where most of our kids get to explore anything these days is on Fortnite or World of Warcraft. So Lenore identified this problem. She was very uncomfortable with it for her own children. And at first she thought, well, the solution here is I just need to persuade other parents to let their kids play outside, right? So she would go to other parents, she would explain to them, look, your child is three times more likely to be hit by lightning than to be kidnapped. You don't need to be scared of this. Let your kids out. But, you know, she quickly learned if you're the only parent letting your child out, it doesn't really work. The child gets scared, you look crazy. Actually, often people call the cops. So Lenore came up with a different strategy, a much more effective one. She runs a group called Let Grow. It's letgrow.org. I really recommend people look it up. And obviously, I write about it in the book. So what Let Grow do is they go to whole schools and whole communities, and they get everyone to give their kids increasing levels of independence that build up to letting their kids play outside. And of all the conversations I had for Stolen Focus, I think probably the most moving was with a 14-year-old boy in a Let Grow program in Long Island, yeah. who I spoke with. Now, this was a big, tall, strapping 14-year-old boy, taller than me, and I'm not short, right? And he told me that until this program had begun nine months before, he had never been allowed out of his house on his own. His parents wouldn't even let him go for a run around the block. I asked him why, and he said, they're afraid of all these kidnappings, he said. I mean, this is a town in Long Island where the French bakery is across the street from the olive oil store, and he had a level of fear that would be appropriate if he lived in Ukraine right now, right? And then this program began, and him and his friends started to play outside, and I said to him, what did you do? He said, well, first of all, we played ball games, but then we started to go into the woods, and he leaned forward and he said, our cell phones don't work in the woods and we still go there. He said that with awe. And I said, what do you do in the woods? He said, well, what we've done is we've built a fort and now we go and sit in our fort and we build other things with our hands. And as he was talking, maybe this sounds over the top, but it really looked like a child coming to life. And I thought about how many kids I know who never get to go outside, you know, even before COVID, never got to go outside. And Lenore was with me that day. And when that boy left, she turned to me and she said, think about human history. For all of human history, young people had to go out and explore. They had to map the territory. They had to seek things. They had to build things. And we took all that away from our children. And it damaged their bodies. It crippled their attention. It made them so anxious. And that boy, given a little sliver of freedom, what did he do? He went into the woods and he built a he fort. Built a this is so deep in human nature. So I would argue one of the big goals, and it's particularly important that we deal with children's attention, because if kids don't develop attention when they're young, they're going to really struggle to develop it when they're older. So I would argue every school in the United States should have a Let Grow program. We need to, and this is free, right? This is the lowest of low-hanging fruit. And I think we've got a particular opportunity to do it now, because whatever you thought about the COVID restrictions, and I was broadly in favor of them, we can all see that locking away our children for two years has terribly harmed them. I mean, I was in Las Vegas for a lot of the pandemic because uh, I'm writing a book about something that happened in Vegas. You know, the fact that the casinos were open and the schools were closed is madness, right? So it tells you about a society with insane <laughs> priorities, right? The, the, the fact that we locked our children away, we can all see that's harmed them. That should help us to see we were locking our kids away before COVID. 
We weren't letting them out before. It became more extreme under COVID, but we were locking away. We've got to give children back the childhood that you had, Oprah, the childhood that my parents had, the childhood that all children had in human history. You know, we need to, at the moment, we're not giving our kids a childhood that our ancestors would even recognize as a childhood. And it's really harming their attention. And we can deal with that. It's free, it's easy, let grow programs cost nothing. We can do this with so many of the factors that I write about in Style and Focus. I really saw we can solve these problems. It doesn't have to be like this, right? right. There are solutions there. I saw them in practice. Are you ready to unlock your inner greatness? If so, make sure to listen to my podcast, The School of Greatness, hosted by me, Lewis Howes. Join me as I sit down with world-class performers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders to uncover their secrets to success with new episodes every single week. Whether you're striving for personal growth, business mastery, or simply seeking inspiration, The School of Greatness has something for you. And you can find it on SiriusXM, Pandora, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe and follow to the show so you never miss an episode and start your journey to greatness today. And at the end of the book, you share six personal changes that you have made, actually, which helped you focus more. And I'd love to hear them as we close here. Yeah. So there, and there are also some changes I should say that I haven't been able to make. So I learned a lot about how the way we eat is harming our ability to focus and pay attention that I write about in the book. Uh, I was telling a producer I went to KFC on the way here, which gives you a sense of how well I'm doing with that one. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> so uh, at least there, there are, are no Pringles there. At least there's no Pringles there. <laughs> Thank God. If they did Pringles in KFC, I would be one of those people who couldn't leave the house. Oh my gosh. But, um, the, so one of them is what we talked about before: pre-commitment. I've got the K safe. I've got freedom on my laptop. You know, I block. I lock myself in. Another is. I really change how I talk to myself. Before, when I felt my attention failing, I would go into this spiral. You're weak, what's wrong with you? You're stupid. Now I go, okay, pull back. This is being done to you. How can you protect yourself? And how can you get into a flow state? So I then try to consciously put in place the conditions that would allow me to get into flow. Another is, I spend six months completely off social media every year. And what I do is I announce in advance that I'm going off. So I say on Twitter and all the other ones, I'm gonna be off for the next six months because I'd look like a complete fool or the next three months or whatever it is, I do it in chunks. Because then I'd look like a complete fool if I've said I'm gonna be off for three months and then I pop up a week later. I also get my friend Lizzie to change my passwords. So even if I crack at 2 a.m., I can't get in. Another one is one of the things I learned in Provincetown is that a really important form of thinking that we have profoundly lost in our culture now is mind wandering. Mind wandering is when you just go out or, or sit, sit somewhere and don't have anything to distract you and don't try to do anything, right? So you're not reading a book, you're not looking at your phone, you're just letting your mind float. And it turns out, we think of that as a waste. We tell kids off for daydreaming in school. In fact, I interviewed lots of experts on this, that is a really precious form of thinking. It's often when we're mind wandering that we have our best ideas, we're most creative, we process our past, we think about the future. Uh, so I consciously, every day, I have at least an hour where I leave my phone at home and I, don't, I go out and I don't have anything to distract me and I just let my mind wander. Let your mind so do whatever I, it wants to do. You're not even trying to meditate, you're just letting it be. Yes. Exactly. And that is always without exception the most creative hour of my day i always I would come agree. back i do that i do that ideas. too i do that too 
I do that too. That's so. I, I'm so. Um, I feel like it's an extra mark of uh, of that I'm right that you do it. <laughs> I do that um, too. Uh, the fifth is. Um, I used to treat sleep as either a luxury or even as an enemy, frankly. And then I interviewed the leading scientists in the world on this. And it is essential that you sleep well in order to be able to focus and pay attention. If you stay awake for 19 hours, your attention deteriorates as much as if you got legally drunk. When you're sleeping, your brain is cleaning and repairing itself. And at the moment, we are not giving our brains time to do that. So I absolutely prioritise sleep. It is. I used to think it was a waste of time. Now I know it's an incredibly active process. And you know what I learned from reading Stolen Focus? What I learned is that in adults, once we're sleep deprived, we become exhausted and you slow down, your brain doesn't work it well. I didn't know that a lot of the ADHD uh, symptoms that kids have, whether they're ADHD or not, or the manic behavior is caused from lack of sleep. I thought that was so interesting that in kids, lack of sleep shows up as some kind of form of mania hypervigilance. Totally. And, and um, you know, it's figures on this are incredible. Children now sleep 85 minutes less than they did a century ago. And Dr. Charles Seisler, who I interviewed at Harvard Medical School, who's one of the leading experts in the world on sleep, said to me, even if nothing else had changed, even if the only thing that happened is that we sleep so much less, that alone would be causing an enormous attention crisis. And that, of course, is not the only thing that's changed. So we've absolutely got to deal with that. And the, the sick thing I've done, as you know, with the children in my life, I don't have uh, biological children, but I have lots of children in my life who I love and I'm very close to. Okay, so stop, stop before you do the sixth one, because one of the things that I got from Stolen Focus, uh, I know that you're supposed to put your phones away. I know you're not supposed to look at your phones in the middle of the night, but I didn't know that you needed a certain amount of time of not actually looking at the screen before you go to bed. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't realize that. The, this is something Dr. Seisler discovered that really helped me to understand what I had been doing wrong. So human beings evolved so that when it gets dark, we get a surge of energy. So imagine you were out camping and it starts to get dark and you haven't put your tent up. It starts to get dark, you get a sudden surge of energy. Great, you, get, you can put up your tent before it's completely dark and you'd be screwed, right? You can imagine how in our evolution that'd be very helpful. It starts to get dark, you get a surge of energy, you get back to the tribe, you get back to the cave. But what's happened is now with artificial light, we control when it gets dark, right? So say you're lying in bed, uh, which I used to do all the time and I never do now, or almost never, and you're watching TV on your phone, right, for example. And then you switch off your phone. You're in bed, you want to go to sleep, but the message your body gets is, it just got dark. We need to give Johan a load of energy so he can get back to the cave. So you're lying in your, it doesn't know you're already in your cave, right? So you get this sudden surge of energy, but you're lying in your bed. So you're suddenly restless. You, you thought you were tired, but suddenly you've got this horrible insomnia. Um, you promise yourself the next night you'll go to sleep at the right time. But of course what you do, what we're doing, it's almost like, because 90% of us look at a glowing screen within an hour of going to bed. It's almost like we're taking a shot of adrenaline just before we go to sleep. Wow, I thought that was so powerful. It's difficult to do in the culture we live in, but you, what, what the evidence shows is you need to not expose yourself to bright artificial light for at least two hours before you go to sleep, right? It's a great time to read if you can. Um, and I also argue for bigger social changes that make it easier for people to do that. So yeah, you're, 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 you're totally right that we've got to understand what, what is being done to us so that we can begin to protect ourselves. And yes, in terms but, of but, but one, also, just, just, just let me interrupt here. The, uh, what saddened me so much is that fewer people are reading in the country than ever before. 
I mean, with all my talk about reading and book clubs and fewer people are reading, I think I thought those figures were staggering. Yeah, this is the first time in the history of the American Republic that in any given year, a majority of Americans don't read a book. And by the way, the figures would be much worse if you hadn't done the work that you're doing, because you've been the leading yeah. champion of reading in, in the country. Um, and it was really sad to learn about that. I remember having a really sad moment in Provincetown. There's this sec gorgeous secondhand bookshop called Tim's Used Books in Provincetown. And I would go in and buy books really often because my attention was so good, I could read so much. And there was a young woman who worked there, a really smart young woman. And every day I'd go in, she was reading a different novel, like she'd be reading Toni Morrison, then she'd be reading Shirley Jackson. And one day I said to her, God, you, you read a lot, you know. And she looked at me really sadly and she said, actually, I, I can only read the first chapter or two. I can't really get beyond that. I can't really pay, pay attention. And this was a really smart person surrounded by the greatest works of literature in the world who wanted to read them and she felt she couldn't. And there's all sorts of things going on there, but I understood that better when I interviewed a woman called Professor Anne Mangan, who's at Stavanger University in Norway. And she explained to me, when you read a book, you read linearly, so you read from, in English from left to right, right? And so if I give you a page, if I give anyone listening, if I give you a page of written text printed out, you will read it left to right, normally. Um, when you read on a screen, you don't read that way, you read in a Z shape. So you'll read the first line, then you skim ahead, you scan, 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 and then you go back to the start, right? But what happens is if you read too much on screens, that scanning, that Z-shaped reading, bleeds over into when you try and read the printed page. And it just makes reading much less satisfying. If you're skimming, reading becomes less like having a lovely, immersive, warm bath and more like dashing around a supermarket to get whatever you want and to get out, right? Um, this is the, the evidence, this, this, it's really interesting, there's, there's lots of research that Professor Mangan and other people have done that this is a worse form of reading. It's called, the scientific term for it is screen inferiority. So there's loads of research on this. You give loads of people the same story uh, or the same piece of a newspaper or magazine article, and some of them, they're randomly assigned, some of them get it as a printed book or on printed paper, and some of them just read it on a screen. And then they go back to them a day, a week, a month later, and they ask them about what they read. And always the people who read it on a screen remember less and understood less of what they read than the people who read it in physical print, right? Uh, it's such a big effect that in elementary school kids, it's two thirds of a whole year's growth in reading is the difference between reading on a screen and reading on the page. So one of the things I think we have to do is restore the physical book. The physical book is an unbelievably good technology. If we invented it now, right, we said we're going to invent something that boosts your empathy. Professor Raymond Marr at the University of York in Toronto has proved that reading fiction boosts your empathy. It's a much better virtual reality machine than what we call virtual reality. It's so pleasurable. It's, it, Professor Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi found it was the single most reliable way to get into flow is reading a book. It makes you smarter, it makes you calmer, it slows you down, which gives you all the benefits of, uh, that we were talking mm -hmm. about before. If someone invented that now, we'd be like, damn, that's a great invention, right? So we need to restore uh, the, the physical book. And you, you, know, you, you have done literally more than anyone in the United States to, to do that and to keep that flame alive. So you know, I'm really grateful to you and it's so important. It's why we have to keep fighting for it, although it's becoming a lonelier battle. If we deal with these other factors, we can begin 
to restore some of those forms of deep focus like reading books, but we've got to deal with these 12 big factors so we can create the space for people to be able to do these things, which often they want to do. That young woman in Tim's used books, she wants to be reading those books, right? Lots of people want to be focusing more, but they feel they can't because they're lost in this, this sea of these factors that are doing this to us, which is why we've got to get a handle on it by understanding what's happening and together dealing step by step with these problems. Because a life where you can't pay attention is such a diminished life. We can all see it when we look at children who can't pay attention. We don't have to accept this. Yeah, a life, a life where you can't pay attention brings us back to what I was saying in the beginning. There is no depth yeah. there. And I interrupted you before you finished the sixth personal change. Oh yeah, so this is uh, with the young people that I love in my life. I don't have my own kids, but I have lots of children in my life who I'm very close to. I, I used to very often do, you know, I, I, I came from a working class family. My grandmother who raised me, her job was to clean toilets. I would often do kind of improving things. So sort of like, it's like, oh, I've become middle class now. I need to teach them things, right? And now I'm just like, let them play. The single best thing I can do is let them play with other kids, right? I've stopped doing all this. Let's get them to, let's get them to learn the oboe. Let's get them to do extra math classes. How hell with that? The best thing you can do, as Dr. Isabel Benke, the brilliant Chilean scientist said to me, a, a, a childhood full of play is the absolute rock-solid basis for a personality. Everything they learn is built on top of that basis. If you don't build that foundation, they're going to struggle with everything. It's not a coincidence. You think about Finland, right? Finland, yes. Finnish schools, schools in Finland, they don't go to school until they're seven years old. Until they're seven, they just play. Um, from when they're seven to when they're 18, they go to school at 9 a.m. and finish at 2.30. I know people have their kids in pre-kindergarten and they're paying $30,000 a year for pre-kindergarten. Uh, it's, it's literally, and, and they're doing it out of love. I don't for a second doubt they're doing it out of love. But if you look at the outcomes in Finland, by law, for every 45 minutes they learn anything, they have to have 15 minutes of play. They get no homework and they have no tests until you turn 18 in Finland, right? Almost no tests at all. And Finland has the most literate children in the world, the happiest children in the world, and the lowest levels of diagnosed attention problems in the whole world, right? And it's interesting because a lot of these factors connect Oprah. If you think about, so if you think about this technology that we use, some aspects of it are a bit like a virus, right? And they would have been powerful at any moment they came along. But they, they came along at a moment when our collective immune system was already down. We were eating food that profoundly damages our attention. We were sleeping 20% less than we did a century ago. Uh, we were massively overworking. All sorts of these things happen. So they arrive at a moment when our immune system is down. And what's happening is it's the combination of all these factors that are so harming our attention, which is why we've got to unpick them one by one and deal with them. And the reason I'm optimistic about this, there are many reasons, but one is these are very recent changes, right? You can, you can remember the time before them. I can remember the time before them, right? Um, you know, Dr. James Williams, who I mentioned before, he said to me, the axe existed for 1.4 million years before anyone thought, hey, why don't we put a handle on this? The entire internet <laughs> has existed for less than 10,000 days, right? We can solve these problems if we want to. These, these human beings have taken on bigger challenges than this, right? But we've got to decide that attention is something we profoundly value, that is really important to us, that matters to us, that we want children who can read books and play outside. We want for ourselves to be able to think deeply in the long term. And I think we do have a desperate craving for that. And it's about giving people back that sense of power and agency 
and explaining to them that this is a problem we can fix because at the moment people just feel lost in this problem. And what I'm trying to do with Stolen Focus is say to them, no, this is a problem we can get a handle on. This is not your fault. Together we can solve it. We made it, we can unmake it. I thank you, exactly. Johan. I thank you, Johan Hari, for another incredible, it's a fascinating read. Stolen Focus, available wherever books are sold. You did another great job here. Really fantastic. Oh, thank you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening. 